Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to a new episode of Field Days, an award-winning podcast about news and hot topics related to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Here are your almost witty hosts, Chris Gouts and Greg Straub. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. I'm Greg Straub, joined as always by the department spokesperson, Chris Gouts. Chris, it's going to be a fun interview today. I'm excited to talk with our guest and find out more about what's going on inside our prisons. But here's my pop quiz, as always, for you, Chris. I'm ready. There is a very important birthday this month. It's not Earth Day. I know we just talked about Earth Day last episode, so it's not Earth Day. Whose birthday falls in April? That's super important to this program. Given that we just talked about it before we hit record, am I uh, supposed to pretend like I don't to know? Pretend like we, or you, you is this know. like a thing? Yeah. Well, should, I, should, it, so. should I sound like smart or should I, or, or did you want to surprise me? Even if you do know, Chris, it's hard for you to sound smart, but go okay. ahead and give it a shot. I think that it might be Shakespeare's birthday. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. our guest just said, and could be death too, his death day. So wow. lots of Shakespeare trivia today, but I am excited to have on our guest and that is Franny Shepard Bates and a program that she runs. So Franny, welcome to Field Days. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. So talk a little bit about what you do. So I'm the director of Shakespeare in Prison, which is a program of Detroit Public Theater, professional nonprofit theater in the city of Detroit. And we have been working with women at Women's Huron Valley Correctional Facility for just over seven years, doing Shakespeare and using it as a catalyst for empowerment, for people to try, try some new things, do some sort of healthy risk-taking through theater, and start to change the way that they, that they think of themselves and what they're capable of. And then we've been um, working with men over at Parnell Correctional Facility for almost two years, and we've also, for about a year and a half, been working with program alumni after their release. Yeah, great. And, you know, we'll get into uh, in-depth about some of this, uh, some of the program. But before we get in-depth, I'm curious, um, we were talking about Shakespeare in prison, and, and you know, you're, the, you're the director of the program. What drew you to Shakespeare? Drew I, you to Shakespeare? Yeah, me personally. Yeah. You know, looking at and reading Shakespeare when I was a kid, I really loved the stories. I connected with the language, how, how beautiful it was, how fun it was to speak. I loved watching it as I kind of moved through high school and college studying theater, uh, realized that I really just, this was kind of a, a niche that I really enjoyed was was working with that sort of dense text and puzzling it out and figuring out what to do with it. And, you, and we talked earlier, you, you went to Wayne State, you studied at mm-hmm. Wayne State University, right? A- after you graduated and kind of got more into this, what made your decision to bring it into a prison? I had started uh, with some friends, started up this little renegade theater in the city of Detroit, right when the recession hit. It was a great idea, um, <laughs> excellent planning on our parts, and um, in, the, in the midst of this, discovered this Shakespeare Behind Bars program in Kentucky. There's this beautiful documentary about this program that's founded by uh, Kurt Toffland. And I felt like, oh, wow, that's maybe something I could do beyond theater as entertainment for audiences, which is, which is vital and we need. But theater can do all this other stuff for people. I'm interested in that. And after kind of mulling that over for a while and teaching, acting, directing plays, running this company, I realized that I knew Ellen Barron, who uh, is the director of the horticultural program at Huron Valley, I contacted her and said, do you, I know PCAP is, is there. Do you think there would be any interest in a Shakespeare program? She connected me with the programs department, and that's kind of where it went from there. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm sure some would ask, you know, what, what value does a theater program or the Shakespeare program have on offenders? You know, we have lots of vocational 
training inside. We have lots of programming inside. What's a Shakespeare program do to help somebody out? So it, it works on a, on a few different levels. There's the, the theatrical piece of it, which is the actual stuff that, that people get out of doing plays in general. Um, confidence in speaking in front of other people, uh, developing creative ideas and collaborating with a group on this play, taking on something as challenging as Shakespeare. Well, people think I'm not smart enough for that. I don't know how to do that. I'm not British, whatever the case may be, and realize they can do that. Learn to work with people they maybe don't like, maybe have like legitimate problems with, but they work towards this common goal. And as we're working with this very challenging material in this very uh, challenging environment to do theater, people start to sort of re-examine who they have been, who they are, who they think they can be. And as they do that, not only are they developing skills you can link directly to success in all areas of your life, like public speaking, things like that, but they also start to just think, wow, I really did not think I could do this. What else can I do? I think maybe I'll try for my GED. I think I will sign up for that vocational program. I'm going to go after these college courses because if I can do Shakespeare, maybe that means I'm smart. And so there's an interplay that the work with Shakespeare complements many other areas of people's lives. That's very well said. You know, Chris, you you get paid to speak a lot. Do you think you could handle a Shakespeare play? Can I are handle you smart it? enough? Are you smart enough to do a Shakespeare play? I, I, I could not. I, <laughs> do, I can tell you I've been out to the facility with, with Franny a number of times. We get a lot of media attention for Franny's program, and so, you know, Mitch Album did a segment, uh, the Free Press, and a lot of the major TV stations in Detroit in that area have, have come out time and time again to see this, and so I've been there a number of times, and the first couple times I went, I realized, like, how good these women are. Like, yeah. it was amazing. They, they would stand up there, and you see them as prisoners whenever you go there, but then you see them on stage, and you see this young woman who's reciting what must have been ten paragraphs of text, and not only reciting it word for word, but acting it out and knowing what the lines mean and knowing yeah. when to act and how to move, and it was incredibly impressive. Not yeah. something that I could ever, ever do. That's good. So there's many things that fall into that category. <laughs> That's another podcast, Chris. But go ahead. So I guess, for any, what have you seen in your years of doing it? Um, that the the, the growth in, in the women and, and what what's most impressed you of what you've seen change in them? It's wow. There are so many stories that it's difficult to generalize, and then it's and then like which person do I talk about? Because you know there are some people who come into the program and then they leave for whatever reason. But for the people who stick around, it can be absolutely transformational, particularly because. It's a non-academic program, so we're not teaching, we're not directing, and people really come at the material from what they've lived. And so they find themselves there because part of what you do as an actor is you, you have to determine what is my character's objective, what's the goal, what, what does this character want, and then what are my tactics? How is my character going to try to get what he or she wants? And so for people who need to do that kind of analysis because they're not being directed by anybody else's interpretation they'll look at a character and say, okay, Macbeth's objective was to get the crown. His tactics were to kill all these people, including like his best friend, the king. That wasn't the right way to go about this. What were my objectives and tactics that got me here? What are my objectives now and how do my tactics need to change? And so because we're not telling anybody what to think about the plays, they develop their own ideas about these things. And and then, it, again, it, it can give them new ways of thinking about what's going on in their own lives. And so I would say that the objectives and tactics part of it is fairly across the board, which is this kind of acting 101 thing, because Shakespeare's characters always say what they mean unless they tell you that they're about to tell a lie. You can identify that pretty easily. There's lots of playwrights and there's lots of plays 
Why do you think Shakespeare works so well in a prison setting? I think that that any kind of theater you can do in a prison setting is a benefit to the people who are doing it. Um, what they value about Shakespeare in particular is that, on the one hand, there is the the, ch- the challenge of it, the taking that on and, and getting that boost out of doing something that is really, really difficult. There is also the fact that, that the language provides a means of articulating your experience that you maybe didn't have before, that you didn't know you could connect with people across centuries and find commonality with, with people all over the place and, and throughout all of history. There's also the fact that with Shakespeare in particular, because the language is so different from the language that that you or I would use to to talk about our experiences, it provides this filter or like a a screen. So you you can open the window to whatever it is you wanted to talk about or maybe just listen to or be in the room with. And there's this filter that is not a barrier, but means that you don't have to put things in your own words. You don't have to worry about how do I talk about my experience in a way that is safe. And yet you can talk about your experience through this other language. It's a different way of processing it that feels much safer to people. And either that is the way they end up processing things, or they are then able to use that as a jumping off point to use their own words to articulate their experiences. Yeah, I, mean, I think I found that it's been obviously a long time since sophomore high school English class when we did <laughs> Shakespeare, but I remember what I really got out of it was when you look at it on its face value, it seems so dense and so hard to get into that that language where it was so difficult. But what I really liked about it was once it was broken down for me and I realized that what he said right there was an insult. It was a really good insult. Mm-hmm. Or it was like this other language. It was like this code that I had to like learn the, the, the keywords to. And then once I got it, I was like, God, I can I can insult this person or I can make fun of or I can tell a joke. Well yeah, and there's there's that really dense, complicated language that you you have a compassionate guide and you realize you can figure it out, you can puzzle it out. And then there's a language that sounds more or less like what we would say today, you know, when we, we just did King Lear at Parnell. And so Gloucester is is blinded, and King Lear, who has gone kind of nuts, finds him, and they're talking, and and Gloucester is weeping. I can't I can't see this. I can't read this. You know, I have no eyes. And King Lear says, "A man may see how this world goes with no eyes." And Gloucester says, "I see it feelingly." And there's no that's those are all words that we that we still use. That's not language you need to break down and puzzle out. And that's when you hear people around the circle with language like that just saying, oh, and you haven't explained it. All you've done is someone's read it out loud, and it, and it hits them to the core. Like, yes, that is true. <laughs> that is absolutely true. You, you mentioned uh, King Lear. I was going to ask you, what are some of the other plays that, that you've done, or, and are, are there some that, that just work and you've done them multiple times, or have you kind of moved around and done different ones? With the women, we've done uh, The Tempest, Romeo and Juliet, The Taming of the Shrew, Othello. We did Macbeth. We did Richard III. They're working on Twelfth Night right now. And then at Parnell, um, we did a two-week workshop using Macbeth. We did two 14-week workshops. One used Othello, and the other was The Tempest. And then we just wrapped our first 40-week season there with King Lear. They're all, you know, wildly different plays, uh, different processes, different experiences, and it's, it's always a learning experience. With all the different plays you just mentioned, is it the same prisoners doing each play, or is it different prisoners, or how, how do you select who does the plays? People sign up on a first-come, first-served waiting list. We don't have any requirement um, to, to joining other than, you know, security level, maybe recent history of tickets. It, it depends. That that piece of it, you know, is, is up to the facility. As long as they are able to stay in the program, as long as they're still incarcerated, they're, they're welcome to stay. 
And so some, some people have been there in, in the program with us for years, where others will, will join closer to their release dates, and then they only spend one season with us. But often people are with us for two or more seasons. I'm going to ask like a, a Greg-level question of, uh, please. Yeah. yeah. So when you have, I'm sure this maybe is more of an issue at the male prison than the women's, but maybe not. Obviously, there's a lot of love. How, how do you, when you only have, you know, men in a play, and you've got female roles... It's so interesting. Each time that we've done these plays, there's always been at least one person who was like, I'll play a woman. I don't care. Kind of this like attitude of like, I'll show these dudes. You know, like one of them said that he said to someone else in his unit, real men do Shakespeare, but it takes a real man to play a woman in Shakespeare. And so that's kind of the attitude. That said, I've ended up playing some of the women. Uh, in those plays, but um, with King Lear, just recently, the guys who are playing uh, Goneril and Regan, who are the kind of wicked stepsister kind of characters in that play, were very adamant, like, we are wearing dresses. These are women who wear dresses. And I said, are you sure? Because you don't have to. And they were like, we don't understand why you're making this a thing. Like, <laughs> we're wearing dresses. I was like, okay. So that's what we did for that one. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I'm still confused on how that was my level question. It's like more <laughs> of a period level, you know, oh. question. Like, okay. So there is an opportunity, when and if they are paroled, to continue the program um, on the outside, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, how, how does that work? The, so the goal of that program, which we call uh, Shakespeare Reclaimed, is to continue to provide the same kind of mentoring that we do on the inside to folks on the outside. Because people are all over the state, we can't necessarily like meet and do a Shakespeare play. But in the end, Shakespeare's the catalyst to something else anyway. And so what we're able to do is say, you know, we've, we've seen you in this really positive light. We've done this really great work with you on the inside. And so when you get home, um, if you're approved to be part of this program, on, on, on one level, you can call and check in, you know, and we'll, we'll be that same moral support that we were when you were incarcerated. And on the next, you know, we're all, beyond being artists and, and whatnot, we're nonprofit people. We have different kinds of professional experience and, and, and connections and things like that. So we can be job references for potential employers. We can help you put together a resume. We can connect you with mentors who are more specifically related to your professional goals maybe than we are. Or maybe we're the best mentors for whatever skill you're looking to build. And so it kind of, it takes it from this environment that is more based, you know, it's based around a play at the end of the day to now we're out here on, you know, in the quote unquote real world. And how can we continue to support you? So for those who have been released, have any of them taken up theater outside? Yeah, at least one person um, is pursuing a part-time career as an actor. People are coming out more interested in nonprofit kind of stuff. A few people who are either working in nonprofits now or developing, working on developing their own nonprofits and working in fields of advocacy and education and things, things of that nature. So people are still, you know, in love with Shakespeare because you fall in love with Shakespeare when you work with Shakespeare, but not necessarily all theatrical. Yeah, and, and you know, Chris, I, I, they wouldn't have done this inside to kind of get outside their comfort zone and, mm-hmm. and learn a new skill. Maybe they would have done this when they came out. They wouldn't have, you know, felt comfortable enough to do some of this stuff. So when we talk about value to this program, I mean, there's there's a value to the program. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and, and when you talk about value and, and outcomes, I wonder if you could just talk briefly about the report that you guys put out uh, back in January that, that looked at and tracked, you know, the women as they went through the program. Our, our hypothesis for that study, which was of our 2016-17 um, season, was that we were, we were trying to be able to define and clearly articulate what is going on in this program because 
we were having a tough time kind of nailing down language to describe it because it's kind of abstract. What we thought was happening was that people were um, engaging in the positive development of their narrative identities, narrative identity being defined as who I am uh, is the way that I tell my story, my story of who I was, my story of who I am, my story of who I want to be or will be, and how throughout a season, through both the theatrical side of it that has specifically to do with working on a play, working with Shakespeare, and the operational side of it, which has to do with collaborative work in a group, have an interplay and even sometimes a fusion that allows people to have a positive development of that, moving from places that are often of disempowerment, I can't, um, or I am this person who does these really negative things, I am a bad person, to I can, these are the people, these are the things that I am able to do, these are the things I excel at, and these are the things that I do that are good. And so not to diminish or get rid of or absolve from anything in the past that is part of the story, but to put it within context of who I am as a, as a holistic human being, and what, what, what can I do now as I move forward through this narrative of my life. I thought it was really, really interesting to, to read through it, and, and I know that we, we got your approval to use the journals again uh, mm-hmm. next year to, to, to go through that, and you said Twelfth Night is going to be the next one that they'll do? Twelfth Night is being performed uh, here on Valley in June, uh, and it, it should be a very, and it's a really goofy play, and it's a group of women with like really, really oddball senses of humor, so it should be a lot of fun. Now, have you found that there's any plays that just don't work in a setting that, that are maybe too too much? I would never say never to anything. Um, there, are, there are programs all over the country and, and even internationally that work with Shakespeare in, uh, in corrections and have done the most twisted of the plays, so I would never say never, but I would also not assume that uh, Titus Andronicus, for example, would be, I would would definitely want to talk to staff (laughs) before uh, introducing that as like a viable option, and it is done in prisons, so I, there there seems to be a way to do it that is appropriate, and I, you know, someday I'm sure that conversation will happen. But I guess lastly, one of the things that we we didn't touch on earlier that I think is really important when you talk about the value, and when I talked to Kurt about this many years ago, he said that the, the circle, he, I think he almost described it as like therapy, that if you didn't even have the performances at the end of the year, that that would be okay because more has gotten out of that part of it. And I think that's kind of the same. I've seen you and, and the women get together in these circles. Mm-hmm. And if you could talk about that and the, and the importance of what they learn and what they get out of that part of it, when they're not even talking about Shakespeare, they're just talking. Um, having, having that circle, that kind of bubble where they can feel safe, it may be the only time they feel safe while they're incarcerated or, or maybe in their entire lives, maybe they've never felt that kind of camaraderie and kind of like this is a group of people who I can kind of relax with a little bit. I can be, I can be vulnerable here, whether it's doing some goofy improv game or really diving deep into an emotional text or just speaking honestly about myself and who I am. What we find happens with performance is that it crystallizes because a performance is heightened um, and because you have this common goal you're working toward, and then it's like, okay, we've got, you know, four performances to quote-unquote get it right. We have to all collaborate on this. It's not about any one person. Whatever, you know, fissures there may be between people, conflicts, things like that, they start to kind of go away because in this heightened environment, it all becomes clear more what we have in common and, and the bonds that we've created and less you know, what, what problems we may have with one another. We'll always have a wrap-up session after performances are complete and do find that, yes, like the process is the important part, not the product. That final capstone is what makes it all click. This is what I got out of it. I can say it exactly now. 
Well, Franny, I mean, this is great stuff. Clearly, what you're doing is making a difference. Just the amount of people that I've seen continue with the program when they've come out shows that it makes a difference. Well, thank you for, for doing what you do. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming up Field Days and explaining it. Thank you. And thank you for every staff person who gives us so much support because right. we don't do this in a vacuum and we need a lot of help to make it happen. And for your volunteers as well. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Chris, you know, it was great to have Franny on today. You can hear her passion for theater and, and Shakespeare, what she's doing inside of facilities at WHV and Parnell. And then when they get out on parole, there's there's some follow-up to this program. So good stuff. We appreciate Franny coming on. Uh, but, Chris, you know, the director, you said, I think, last week or the week before that the director was in D.C. at the White House, which is huge, talking corrections. And I, and I hear she's back in D.C. again, right? Yeah, second time in a, in a year she was at the White House to uh, to talk about corrections reform and because of the fact that we're such a leader nationally that she's been recognized to come back to the White House. Just yesterday, on Monday, the U.S. Department of Education was doing a uh, special convening of uh, a group from around the people from around the country of which she was particularly invited to actually speak um, at this event on a panel called Rethinking Correctional and Reentry Education, A Second Chance at Learning. Uh, and she was able to give a presentation on the vocational village. Now, we are very excited. Heard that went very well. Um, and it came right on the heels of a number of things we did on Friday uh, at the Vocational Village when I, I was with her. We had folks from two national uh, publications there doing stories about the Vocational Village. I'm really excited to see those come out. And, and when they come out, we'll make sure that we send all the links and we'll definitely promote those when they come out. But it, it's just great to see. We've gotten a lot of good coverage statewide. And our staff, I think, are starting to realize the importance of the Vocational Village and the effect that it has on the department. But then it's so great to see national news outlets coming here to see what we're doing and to promote it. So yeah. I can't wait for people to, to hear more about that. And every time that she's out uh, nationally, when she's out in Washington, it gets picked up by a lot of the national press and uh, our, our word uh, and message keeps getting out there. So it's really great. Deputy Director Marlon was actually uh, last week was down in Georgia at a national meeting conference uh, where all the deputy directors from across the country, the executives from you know parole probation agencies around the country go and they meet quarterly. It's funny because he, you know, when he first got this job and went down there, you know, he was soaking up everybody's ideas and trying to get a sense of what's going on around the country. But he says now he goes down there and it's the exact opposite. Everybody's trying to take what Michigan's doing. You know, they, they say what state's got it right, what state's doing well. And they all point right to Michigan and him and say they're doing it right, do exactly what they're doing. So, you know, it's good to hear that we're being recognized nationally. The director's going to D.C. to the White House. You know, Russ goes to a national meeting and everybody's talking about Michigan. You know, kudos to everybody out there who is making this happen. It's not necessarily the director and, and Deputy Director Marlin who are making this happen. It's everybody who's doing the job. So thank you again for everything you do. It is being recognized. So it's a pretty big week here. We have Scram Awards, Chris, on Friday. This Friday we have affectionately known as the Scrammies. I don't know if you've heard of these yet, but... Uh, Scram Awards are, are a big deal, you know. The, the, I've never heard them called the Scrammies. Well, I think, I think maybe I just call them Scrammies. But, I think uh, it's, that's better I marketing. It's, See, it's you cool, know, right? you being in our office uh, is really rubbing off on you and your marketing skills. Uh, I, I would not say that at all, but... Uh, Under yeah. my tutelage, you've really grown as a marketing uh, person. <laughs> Can we edit that out, please, Joel? Uh, <laughs> We're leaving it in. But no, but it, we these are, these are a big deal to our agents who use Scram, who are... You know, specialized scram agents or just have offenders on scram on their caseload. The, the company actually monitors and sees success rates and, and how fast agents react to things like, you know, alerts and positive alcohol on the scrams and how many sober days that our, our offenders have. And, you know, they attribute that, a lot of that stuff to the agents and their work that they do. So, you know, scram recognizes our agents and, and the work that they're doing throughout the year. They have scram awards and I call them scrammies and they're on Friday and I'm excited to go. And 
see all of our staff get uh, get these wonderful awards and, uh, and and kudos for the great work that they do. So I hope to see you there, Mr. Gouts. I hope you're going to take some pictures and post uh, on uh, social media. And we usually do. We're okay. usually there. That's good. And the day before that, on Thursday, is Take Your Kid to Work Day, right, Chris? Yeah, I'm excited it's about that. National Take Your Kid to Work Day? Uh, I don't think it's just a DOC thing. I'm pretty okay. sure it's a national I, I wasn't thing. sure if we just did that or if it was a, a It's, it's a around, national around the I know. I know a lot of our staff are not able to do that because right. of where That's they work. That's the unfortunate part. It is very unfortunate. If you work mm-hmm. in a parole probation office or, um, or, or a facility, yeah, you, unfortunately, you don't get the opportunity to do that. You know, but some staff do. Uh, here at Central Office, they do. And I know a lot of our staff take advantage of that. And I think it's a great opportunity for the kids to see, kind of be educated on what corrections is, what what their parents do. So it, I know it is a fun day for a lot of our staff. And are you going to bring your kids on Thursday, Chris? I think that's the plan. They look forward to it uh, every year. Usually after about a month or two after it happens, they ask me, when is that date oh, again? Really? They're all excited. They think it's going to happen right away. And I have to remind them it's, it's literally a year, year, a year later. Always a fun day. So what else? I know you got to talk about the Honor Guard, Chris. Yeah, so the Honor Guard is uh, looking for new members. John Cordell, who's the Honor Guard commander, uh, is going to be putting something out. Uh, we'll have that information in the next newsletter. But they are recruiting new members right now. So if you are interested in serving in the Honor Guard, which uh, they, they do a lot of things, with uh, including banquets, ceremonies, parades, al- along with funeral and memorial services, you can certainly apply. The Honor Guard is open to all status MDOC employees from around the state. But having a background in drill and ceremony or some type of discipline marching is helpful, but it's it's not required. If you are looking to accept uh, this kind of challenge and, and be part of the Honor Guard, you can contact your warden or your administrator uh, regarding a position. And then to be considered for an interview, you've got to submit your resume as well as your warden or administrator's letter of recommendation. And you can send that to John Cordell, his email, cordellj at michigan.gov. Join the Honor Guard. It's, uh, you know, if you've ever been to, obviously, the Employee Awards Banquet, which we know is coming up. But more importantly, what I what I really love what they do is going out to all of the memorials whenever there's a fallen officer, whether it's ours or literally any officer around the country, corrections officer, we usually have members of our honor guard there and it's so well received and it's such a tribute to the brotherhood and sisterhood that we have amongst corrections officers around the country. Governors and others who are in other states uh, will routinely call or write letters to our director or to the governor here to say, you know, thank you. It was such a pleasant surprise to see the fact that you guys took the expense to send your members of your honor guard to Mississippi or North Carolina or South Carolina uh, or California to, to be there for our funeral of our officers. So uh, it's a really great thing that our these, these uh, dedicated individuals do, and I hope people will consider uh, signing up. I think that about wraps it up, right? I, I know the next next few weeks we're going to have the Officer of the Year. Um, yeah, excited about that one. That's going to be fun. Steve Cooklin talk about what it uh, what it means to him to be the Corrections Officer of the Year. And I know we have maybe even a special guest on that episode. I, I'm hoping we we haven't we haven't got a book yet, but yeah, um, we're looking forward to that. It's, hint is it's a huge friend of the pod. This individual has been on before and is hilarious. So um, we can all look forward to that. He's uh, talking we, about me, folks. We, <laughs> it's not you, Chris. <laughs> we, we're going to talk Rec Day in a couple weeks, right? We're going to have yeah. um, the FOA Supervisor Conference. That's going to be live from so Mount Pleasant. Live from Mount Pleasant. But there's lots across the department, and uh, we'll make sure we try to highlight those things and the, and the people involved. So make sure you stay tuned to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. All right. As always, thank you for listening. We'd love it if you would help us spread the word about the podcast. You can do that by subscribing to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. You can always follow the department on Facebook at MI Corrections and on Twitter at Michigan DOC, as well as the FOA account at MDOC FOA and the CFA account at MDOC CFA. And you can send any questions you have to the show using the hashtag AskFieldDays. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Field Days Podcast.